0: Welcome back to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. At the moment, it feels impossible to plan for the future, for vacations, for work, for school. So much of life is in suspended animation. But there are plans bubbling out there for big events, for major celebrations. So now the story of a project that's forging ahead with hope that in a few months, we might be able to think about something other than coronavirus. It's a project that looks both forward and back, back to a time when religious zeal was remaking the world, which might be hard to imagine at this moment when we've become less and less religious. The Pew Research Center has found that the number of Americans who say they are religiously unaffiliated has climbed from 16% to 26% in just the last dozen years. But there was a moment when religious zeal changed everything, and it helped invent the world we live in now. It was a moment when a group of people felt so passionate and worried about their futures that they decided to experiment with something completely new.
1: So I think about people that want to colonize Mars. I don't know if we'll do that as a species, but these are the same kinds of people, I would guess.
0: That's Brett Faniff, who, as a defense contractor, has helped build submarines and who, a few years back, found himself at a community meeting in Plymouth, England, a meeting focused on one particular ship that left Plymouth 400 years ago.
1: I mean, it's a highly highly likely you're never coming back, but it's worth it. And well, you have to take your hat off to it. And it, it, it's not every person that has that character. and And that's or has that trait. And that's what really fascinates me about the Mayflower story.
0: The question on the table at that meeting in England was what to do to commemorate the voyage, which departed Europe in the summer of 1620. For the Puritans, the previous decades had been full of religious wars, burnings at the stake, disagreements over what religious texts or clothes to wear. And those were disagreements that, if you can believe it, often ended in people being tossed in jail or killed. It was enough to push a small group of extremely strict Protestants, people convinced that God had chosen them, to build a new society in a place they knew almost nothing about.
1: I don't think people today, myself included, really understand how hard it was to do what they did. And it's... It's almost unexplainable, right, to think about how many people died from starvation, how many people died from common diseases. You know, the mortality rates just 100 years ago, forget 400 years ago on a continent with no infrastructure at all, um, were staggering, terrifying. But they did it anyway. And I'm, I'm always in awe of that more than anything else, that you would be so driven or so compelled to want to live a better life that you would get on a rickety boat that leaked, and in the winter, sail across the North Atlantic against the prevailing current to get to the wrong place, and it's freezing cold, right, with very little to eat, and try to scratch out a life there and stick with it.
0: So at this meeting a few years back, folks were making suggestions about how to celebrate this momentous 400-year anniversary that was coming up. And Fanaf, an American who lives in the U.K., piped up.
1: I was being a jerk and criticizing somebody else's idea to build yet another replica ship. And uh, they said, uh, well, uh, if that's a stupid idea, what are you going to do, smart guy?
0: Fanf argued that the Puritans had been willing to leave behind everything to dive into an unknown, scary future. So maybe the commemoration of their sailing should focus squarely on our future— How about, he proposed, a Mayflower that could sail from England to America with no one on board, a ship made for an era filled with anxiety about computers and robotics and artificial intelligence, all of which may be taking our jobs.
1: And uh, the response from the crowd there was, that's a great idea. You should do that. And so it sort of took on a life of its own. It it started with the city of Plymouth in, in the U.K., and some of my engineering partners and a nonprofit foundation here in the U.S. that I sit on the board that funds this sort of thing, it just sort of took on a life of its own.
0: That ship, which has become an international effort, will leave England this fall. And just as the passengers on the 1620 voyage of the Mayflower reflected many of the anxieties of their age, the lack of passengers on this voyage will do the same 400 years later.
1: And so for me, the Mayflower Project Uh, the Mayflower Autonomous Ship Project sort of speaks to that idea of a new beginning. And we hear all this revolution, talk about revolution in in industry with AI and machine learning and how it's going to put people out of jobs. And I think it's such a terrible way to look at it. It's a very fatalistic thing. And we, we seem to be wrapped up in sort of fatalism these days.
0: But on the ocean, the future is here. From submarines to cargo ships, automation has pretty much taken over. Which, FANIF argues, is a very good thing, and something that will be harder to fully embrace on land.
1: You're not going to have an automated ship jump the curb and plow into a pack of pedestrians because there aren't any. And even if there wa- is going to be an accident, um, it'll be a very slow one. And uh, you know, I tell people all the time when they think about risk, I get this question a lot. So aren't you worried about liability? Absolutely, which is why we have to get rid of the people the problem with cars driving around is that they are completely designed to move people. Now, if there were no people in cars, you wouldn't care, right?
0: If they, if they hit no, each why other? why would you care? I mean, there'd be right? a lot less downside.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't care. And But the purpose of a vehicle, a car, is to convey a person. The purpose of a ship generally, other than cruise ships or pleasure boats, at least in my world, commercial vessels, is to move cargo. And you only want the number of people, you want the minimum number of people there to do that task. And if I can reduce those people, I can keep them safer.
0: And if a world in which humans are onlookers, not the source of much elbow grease, feels like a scary prospect, that may point to at least one way in which very little has changed in the past 400 years. We're always pioneers traveling on uncharted waters.
1: I think what's really, what you'll see next 30, 40, 50 years is the the linking up of the entire supply chain. So where goods are produced, where they're shipped by truck, which will probably be driverless at some point, or or even more highly automated than they are now, or by train. And then to a port facility, you're seeing this already in Europe and other places, that's completely robotic, right? No truck drivers. The containers are moved around and stacked by robotic equipment, and they can be stacked more efficiently. Um loaded in and off the ship, and then sort of the whole integrated supply chain solution of it. Do I have the right thing going to the right port on the right truck to get on the right ship to go to the right location to be then distributed on the other end, optimizing sort of the value proposition, so reduction in fuel, reduction in greenhouse emissions, which is a great benefit, and reduction in cost all the way around. So that's good for the consumer. So, But then, you know, you can get into esoteric arguments about whether – what we're going to do with people when they don't have that many jobs. But, you know, the same question has been asked many times, right, when automobiles were introduced. And what about carriages? What about horses? We still have horses. We'll still have manned vessels. We'll still have pleasure boats that people take to sea. They'll just be infinitely more safe.
0: Do you think that this ship, this autonomous Mayflower – is it going to be used again? What What's going to happen to it after it sails from England to to New England?
1: Well, it'll go back, I hope. I mean, uh, we, we might do a little bit of tour. We might come down to Boston and say hello to the Constitution and or come up, I guess, from Plymouth, I should say. Maybe we'll go to New York and see what's happening. And maybe we'll go to D.C. We'll take a little tour along the East Coast. But we'll go back to the U.K. and cross back. And then it will continue as a research vessel for many years.
0: When you say we, are you going to be on this ship? Oh, or? sorry.
1: Yeah, I... I <laughs> I person I anthropomorphize the ship, right? So
0: oh, it's just gonna go to New York and check things out like well, for a weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean I think of it sort of like a person, but um, I know it isn't. Uh, but it uh, it will continue doing research and working with different research agencies and universities to take their payloads to see as long as we can keep it going, as uh, long as it's safe and to do, and as long as it's got. The capacity to continue, you, know, you have to contend with corrosion and all sorts of other things, but we're designing it well, and I see no reason why it couldn't be ocean permitting. It'll be around for a very long time.
0: Can you give me a sense of just like a couple of research? What, what kind of research sure. is doing, Eric? couple kind of questions is it?
1: Uh, so a very simple one is looking at sea surface height. So because we have such precise global positioning systems, we can look at the height of the ocean, and we can measure that as we drive around. So, all over the place, you know, we we keep taking these measurements. So, we, we know where we are sort of, you know, longitude and latitude, X, Y, but we also know where we are vertically. And that's important when you think about sea level change. And then, you know, there's another group we're working with that wants to listen to, um, they want to listen to whales. So, they want us to tow a, a hydrophone array. And so, we can listen to whale populations and determine what kinds of whales and maybe number of whales or... Individual whales, where they have whale song, sort of identification records, and so you you learn more about that population of cetaceans, and so it's it's limitless, really, and that's why we designed it to take different payload bays. For me, the research I'm interested in is the AI part.
0: Yeah, it's making decisions. It's making a decision some way that
1: we couldn't predict. That to me is really interesting, and that's what that's the research that I find
0: fascinating. Finally, um, are you going to be on the coast of Massachusetts when this thing, yes, like to yes, watch course, this thing yeah. come in? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I'm
1: going to be there when it leaves, and then I'll be I'll be here when it gets here, God willing. And uh, you know, either way, I'll be on the beach drinking in celebration or drinking in sadness. But yeah, I'll definitely be here in
0: Plymouth. Brett Faniff is the director of the Mayflower Autonomous Ship project. Brett, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thinking about autonomous ships actually got us considering ways in which autonomous and robotic technologies could be used to fight the coronavirus and other pandemics. We're going to have an article with some ideas about that at our website innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Sarah Leeson, and engineer David Goodman. Until next time, from PRX and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub.